Hi, we're Katie, Jessica, and Shannon, and this is Boy Problems Podcast, a community focused on supporting families navigating substance use disorder. We hope sharing our stories, introducing you to experts, and answering all the questions you have no one else to ask will help you better navigate your story. Through our partners' recoveries, we found each other and formed our own squad, one we know is so valuable to how we manage this disease in our relationships. So we started bringing a microphone to our hangouts to extend our conversations to others just like us. When you're here, you're not alone. If you're listening, you probably know we met at a family support group and our bonds have grown stronger through sharing our stories and supporting each other. When we think about the thing that's helped us most, it's that. So we'd like to extend that community to you. If you're feeling like no one understands what you're dealing with or you're looking for a community of like-minded individuals, consider joining us for our virtual support group. For details, visit recovering2.com. We know what you're going through, and we're here to help. We're recovering, too. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast. We are excited. We have um, a wonderful guest with us today, coming all the way in from Sydney, Australia. Woo, woo, woo. Welcome, Isabel. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, so I think you're 14 hours ahead of us, so you're already like a day ahead of us, which is yeah, which is my beautiful. day has started. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, well, today's guest is Isabel Stewart, and mm-hmm. she is a confidence and empowerment coach, um, and her company is called Evolve with Isabel. So we are excited to have you on. So thank you. My pleasure. Absolutely. All right. So can you kind of tell us like what does that mean, a confidence uh, and empowerment coach? Yeah, absolutely. So I get that question a lot. And the Confidence Empowerment Coach is under the umbrella of life coaching, but it's specifically to help people to really empower them to make better decisions around their life. And I think for a lot of us, confidence is a skill we were born with and along the way we lose it. So confidence is a huge thing that people forget how to use, a skill they forget how to have. So for me, it's about helping people find their confidence again. And I specialize really with people with perfectionism and people pleasing. So it's a a massive challenge in that area as well. How did you get into that line of work or what kind of sparked that? Yeah, so I actually was in fashion for 15 years. And so I spent a very long time at the change room with women who would go in looking very confident in my eyes and they would come out of this change room. It's like it had this magic curse of people coming out and just seeing all their insecurities and their flaws. And I just saw so many women. I was like, wow, I didn't see that coming Um, from very successful people when I worked in high-end fashion to, you know, just everyday women when I worked in fast fashion as well. And I just saw a very big problem around that. So over the years, I really wanted to get into something like life coaching, but a lot of my fear kept me away from it. So I stayed in fashion, very comfortable uh, until eventually I didn't really feel fulfilled anymore. And I decided to pursue my passion for coaching and for helping other people. So it was really about getting to a a deeper core um, way of helping people as opposed to just dressing people on the outside and making them feel better about themselves. That's how I got into it, funnily enough. Yeah. You mentioned that it was something you wanted to do, but, you know, fears held you back. Like what were, what were some of those fears? 
Oh, so many of them, the fear of failure, that fear has, has kept me, had kept me from doing so many things I want to do. And I think, you know, I obviously specialize in perfectionism and it was because I was a perfectionist myself. And one of the biggest challenges that we face is the fear of what other people will think of us, the fear of judgment and the fear of not being good enough. And that's really entangled in that fear of failure. So we struggle to actually get started on achieving the things we want to achieve. So for me, that was my number one challenge was, I don't know how to do this. And if I'm not going to be the best at it, I'm not going to even attempt it. So that was really what got in the way for me for a long time. Yeah, um, that resonates with me a lot. And I think a lot of our listeners also something we talk about so often um, for those of us who love someone with addiction is just, you know, that fear of judgment from other people. And that's what so often keeps us from sharing our stories or seeking help or, you know, maybe we're in a position where we know it's time to make a change, but you're just almost so paralyzed with fear and worried about the, the shame and judgment that comes with it, that you end up not really doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely resonate with that on so many levels in my own life. And I think that, you know, the word shame comes up a lot. There's so much um, shame people feel when we don't bring those things to light we're not encouraged to talk about things like addiction um, like challenges that we're facing mental health all the things that you know we know people are still trying to bring to light I think that's where we keep it in darkness and it keeps us feeling even more insecure about how we might be judged around it as well so I I, I know that's a big problem for a lot of people especially in the addiction space so yeah I'm curious so like you've talked about perfectionism and people pleasing specifically how would you define that or how could somebody like how would somebody know like oh I'm a perfectionist I'm a people pleaser yes okay so um they're two very different things and I think with perfectionism this is a quite an interesting commonality people see is that I thought perfectionism was those people that looked really perfect like the girl that wore white and never got a stain and had a really neat desk with all like the you know matching colors and I just thought that was what a perfectionist was but it actually is someone who struggles with all or nothing thinking so we might go into extremes of behavior we really struggle with being results focused so we if we don't achieve the goal that we set out to be we don't look at the progress that we're making and see ourselves as growing we just go I didn't meet the target therefore I'm not good enough so that links to into being highly critical of ourselves and funnily enough having extremely high expectations so we barely meet our expectations so this this loop of not feeling good enough because we haven't achieved it we don't follow through and it's just this battle between our head and our action would be the main key for perfectionism and then around people pleasing I think it's completely different it's, it's where we prioritize other people so much and I think we might even see this a lot in the addiction space is that we don't prioritize ourselves we struggle with boundaries and we also struggle with an identity of ourselves because if I'm trying to please you Katie and then trying to please Shannon and we have two totally different opinions I'm just floating in the wind here so Isabel doesn't have an opinion so I just do what everybody else says so that people like me so this undercurrent of feeling like we're going to be judged and that we're not good enough so that's the mask that we wear and you know they're both coping strategies in order to be loved which is at the end of the day what people are seeking in life so that's that's how the two manifest and, and how they come out in every day so people might be listening to that and realizing oh I kind of have some of these behaviors but might not have recognized them before could you have both of them or do people tend to be one or the other? 
Definitely. I think they go pretty well hand in hand as well with the perfectionist and the people pleaser because the perfectionist, as I was just saying, is wearing this mask of, you know, everything's okay. I don't need help. I've got this. Um, and so one of the things we like to do is be the yes person, be the person that doesn't set boundaries because we want to be liked. And so that is definitely something that I see going hand in hand. Uh, they can definitely be separate, but it is something that is quite linked. And do you see that as something um, that is uh, just something that you're born with or is it, um, okay. Can you explain why yeah. you're saying no? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like, no, <laughs> no. So we, I think this is the interesting thing. And this is really a lot of the foundation of my work is that, you know, I've got two little kids. Like I see little babies that have been born. We've all experienced it, whether we have kids or we've seen a little baby, you know, they're so confident. They, you know, they try and walk and they fall over and they get up and they scream all night. And, you know, they don't, they just want to be loved. And then as we go through life, we start feeling the societal experiences. So our parents, first of all, we, we start learning the rules that they have, the boundaries, the way that they have been taught by their parents. And all of a sudden we're imposed on, not in a negative way, but just how life is based on someone else's filter, someone else's experience of the world. So for example, you know, my mum, I would definitely say was a perfectionist. So for me, I saw how certain things were prioritised. Um, a great example is I'm one of eight kids and we're always late to school because mum blow dries all of our hair in the morning. There's seven of us. So we all went to school with perfect hair, but we're always late. So my value was your looks is more important than being on time. So that's just the one example of how we are shaped by the experiences in our world. So from perfectionism, we see it happen and we mimic what our parents do or what our teachers do or our grandparents do. And just as we go through life, I think we start to form a mold of who we believe we should be. And that's how our own self is formed. And I think that's a lot of how perfectionism and people pleasing come along because it just tends to be a way that we see receiving love and being loved so you know if you're a good girl or if you behave then you'll be loved and that's how we're shaped uh, so definitely not born with it I hope that made sense I hope that wasn't too deep there no I, it definitely makes sense um and I think it's something that we've kind of talked about before how different experiences shape you and then the more that something happens, it just kind of reaffirms that behavior. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think then it's harder to change. So when people do get to a point where they're like, okay, I can't keep doing this anymore. And they start working with you. Like, yeah. what does that look like? And I guess, how is like coaching, life coaching and your specific type of coaching different from therapy? Great question. So with the first one, I think it's interesting. There was a time where about 95% of my clients were 31 years old and it just went to, you know, that invisible line of like, you know, go to university, find your partner, settle down, get married, have a baby. It's kind of like people got to 30 and went, hold on a second. And especially the clients I work with, I've been the good girl. I've done everything I was meant to do. Why am I unhappy? Why am I so unfulfilled? Why is life not going the way I thought it was going to? And that's when people started coming to see me. They're like, I just keep trying to do this thing or being happy or being fulfilled, but I just keep coming across the same patterns or I'm just, I'm not there, I'm stuck. That's pretty much what I get with most people when they first come to me. And so I think the difference around coaching when it comes to therapy and they both have their place. Like I've spent time in therapy with psychologists. I think it's super important. We work through a lot of the traumas and, and the past pain that we have. When it comes to coaching, it's really about me as a coach asking the right questions to start 
taking out information from the client that maybe they're not thought about before. So for example, the first thing I start doing with my clients is just challenging their thinking or the language they might use. So for example, someone might, might say, oh, I'm really trying hard to you know, do this goal. And the world try, that language piece, if you just hone into the language that you're using, that try means you're actually not putting much effort in. It's almost an excuse. So just say, for example, you say, I tried to get up in the morning. If you change that one word to I must get up in the morning or I am getting up in the morning, that changes how you're going to move into getting up in the morning. So that coach, the position of, of me being there with my clients is picking up their language, picking up their thought patterns and creating awareness around how they're actually behaving and supporting them in moving forward through both action steps and, you know, really putting a spotlight onto how they're behaving. Yeah, so um, that's all wonderful um, because I would agree uh, for me, it was meet the boy in college, get married, have babies. And then, yes. you know, unfortunately addiction was looped in there. And then it was like, oh, holy shit, my life is a mess and figuring it yes. out. Um, yes. And so right. I'm glad that there's many people that are not on that path or who are trying to navigate that, that it's just like, no, you don't have to, you don't even one first have to go to college. And there's yeah. just so many paths to everything. And so um, I think it's really great. This really cool, the work you're doing. Um, so tell me about, um, so you're doing fashion and you're kind of just like, oh my God, like, I hate this. I want to, maybe you don't hate it, but you're like, I just need to change. And I need to like, change the course of my life. Um, yeah. what gave you that feeling? Because I think a lot of people in like the addiction space, at least for me, it was like, this is the worst feeling and I can't, it almost feels like a pit of despair. And so I'm yeah. not sure if there's any guidance that you can share on that. Like maybe you felt that in, in your, um, profession that you were doing before that kind of got you out of it. Um, so if you could speak to that. Yeah, so um, great question. So when it came to me, myself, I think this is where the perfectionist piece came in. A lot of us seek this external validation. So for example, like you have the partner and they either look the part, have a great job, you live in a great postcode, you know, something is fulfilling that external need because you yourself don't feel validated enough in who you are. So sometimes we hold on to things for far too long. And like, as you mentioned before, Shannon, about, you know, you know, something needs to change, but we're set in that comfort or we're, we have too much fear going on. So the same can apply for staying in a job for too long or a relationship for too long or just a situation that's not great for you. And so I think for me, I was kind of in this situation where, you know, I was in this amazing job I was traveling all around the world you know on paper everything looked amazing but underneath it there was a lot of anxiety there was a lot of um you know the people pleasing and just feeling like I had to stay there in order to be validated in my own life and I think for me I got to a point where it was starting to outweigh it I started to learn about coaching I started my studies and I realized hold on a second this is not fulfilling this is not enjoyable I don't want to be staying here and as I started growing I started releasing that need for external validation and think that was the biggest shift in me moving into coaching um, because I realized I started falling in love with myself instead instead of feeling like everything else made me whole uh, and so that's what happened for me for my own shift. I think for other people, when it starts getting to that point where it's not bringing you joy, it's not bringing you happiness and fulfillment, then I think that's when we can start questioning ourselves, like, is this how I want to spend the rest of my life? Is this what I want to be doing for the rest of my life? And I'm in control of making the change. And yes, it might be scary, but taking those first steps forward. And I think that that's the biggest question we can start asking ourselves is, am I willing to put up with this for the rest of my life? Yeah, I think something that was so interesting, and I don't even know where I heard it was like, um, 
no action is a, is, is a decision or, or something in that yes. ballpark. Yes. Um, yes. And so it's like, oh, okay. I think there's even been conversations in the early days with Jessica and it's like, well, are you leaving him? And it's like, well, I don't know. And it's, well, you're not leaving him. So you are making the decision stay. to stay. Yeah. And so that was always kind of uh, an interesting thought to me. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. And so you, uh, have kind of navigated a path of life, um, knowing someone with addiction. Um, can you share any of that and how that may have kind of shaped, you know, who you are and, and maybe kind of how you deal with that person today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that person in my life, I think when it came to addiction, what I struggled with most was that person choosing that over me. Um, and always feeling like that that was a reflection of how loved I was by that person. I think for me, I then took a lot of that on board and was very critical of myself. And I think it, as an undercurrent, maybe subconsciously felt if that person didn't love me, then, you know, who else was going to love me um, in that in that sort of sense. And I think that, that really shaped how I saw my own self-worth, uh, seeing that person choosing the addiction over me or other people around me and so for me it took me a very very long time uh, going back and forth either ignoring it for a while and kind of moving with their lies about it um, and really struggling I don't know about you guys when it came to this person it was you know a point blank refusal that it was happening and I really struggled with that and what really came out of that was a really low self-trust because I could see it I could smell it um, but I questioned myself that person was saying, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. And I was like, oh God, okay, maybe they're not. And so for me, how that's manifested was a huge low sense of self-trust in myself, in other relationships, at my workplace. And I think that that really impacted my self-esteem. It really did. And I think that's why this work was so important for me to really start reconnecting and learning how to be um, in love with myself and rebuild my self-trust and rebuild my self-confidence. And so uh, what I ended up doing only a year ago was actually completely disconnecting from that person altogether, which was really hard, but learning to set a boundary for myself and knowing that that was never going to change. And either I had to choose to step into that relationship knowing that and being okay with that, but I wasn't in that place yet. So maybe in time, I'll be able to work through being okay with that person not changing. But for now, it felt much healthier to just disconnect for a while. Um, I just found it too painful to be in the situation without the change. Yeah. yeah and so there, um, other people around you, friends and family, um, you had stated before that knows this person. And yeah. so are they speaking to that person? Are they giving you any external pressure of, oh my goodness, you really should talk to this person or X, Y, Z. Like how's, how's that going for you? You know, it's so funny. I've had a nail technician tell me I should be talking to that person. <laughs> I have random people tell me it's not okay. And that's really interesting because uh, I think for many people, addiction is such a secret. You know, not many people know what's even going on. And I think that that's a really interesting thing. Those people that did know uh, things were going on with this person, uh, we've all kind of stepped away. Uh, but at the same time, there's many people who don't understand that because they don't see the behaviour. So A, they don't even believe it. Uh, and the second thing is, well, you know, you should really be supporting that person. And so I think it's it's been an interesting battle because, you know, you really do feel pulled to worry about what people think of you and whether the decision is staying around that person or disconnecting or anything in between. So I think it is quite a, um, a big mental battle to make whatever decision you do make with that. So yes, there has been pressure on both sides. 
Sure. Makes sense. And, um, you know, of course we are all for like supporting our, our loved ones and things, but that, that only works if they are willing to recognize that there's a problem and they are working, you know, on their own to try and make changes. Like if you are, you know, trying to support somebody and they're not open to it, it's, that doesn't go anywhere. Um, you said several things that, you know, made me think of like different comments. The first, um, when you were talking about that self-trust, um, I actually, posted some things on our stories the other day. And one of them was a poll about like, you know, how many people were blindsided by it. And about half of the responses were because Katie and I were both, um, initially blindsided by our partner's use. Um, once it all came out, there wasn't so much the denial around, Oh, I have a problem, but you know, there were long periods of time before we got to that point where it was like, something doesn't feel right. Behaviors seem off. I don't know what it is. Um, and that did play a role. And I think like trusting ourselves and constantly wondering like, well, maybe I'm crazy. Am I making up? Um, and it's, and we've talked so many times, like how long that lingers for, um, even you know, past the point, once you're starting to work on recovery and even working through the trust with our partners, like I still sometimes struggle with like that own self-trust. Um, and, and so I, I'm sure that a lot of our audience can relate to what you were saying there. Um, then the other was a big thing for me too. Yeah. And I guess, do you have any, I mean, through your coaching, is there any, um, advice that you can give to that self-trust? Because yeah, I mean, I'm, six, seven years out from this. And because my husband would, he snorted a line of heroin pretty much in front of my face and told me it was Tylenol. And I believed it. He was telling me that I was spending money on the credit card and I wasn't, but he convinced me that I did. Or I was like, well, maybe Jessica was out chasing fictional money out in the yard because her husband said it blew, you know, (laughs) blew off the microwave into the yard. (laughs) Shannon, I'm sure you have tons of examples. Oh my gosh. You know, I think self-trust is that. Yeah. And so can you, do you have any guidance through that? Cause I think that's such a big thing. I mean, I'll have to, I'll have to think about that for a moment. The first thing that comes to mind for me is that we want to believe this person. We desperately want to believe this person. We want it to be true because if we didn't believe them, if we called them out on it, we'd have to set a really clear boundary about it. We'd have to step right into our own power and be like, this isn't good enough. This isn't acceptable. I know you're lying because I think, and I I speak to my own experience, so I don't know if this resonates with you guys. If I was to do that, I'd have to make a decision with that person to say, I accept this or I don't accept this. And I think for me, you know, that, that person was a source of love. You know, that was a pure source of love. And so that would mean I'd have to let go of love. So for me, I was more willing. And I think, you know, the past experience I'd had in the lack of self-trust meant it had eroded so much that it was super hard to start building that up by myself with that person still there, you know, and still making the lies as well, because you do question it because that person, you want to believe them. And I believe, you know, that is really the core of it. You want to believe them. You want to feel that love. You want it to be better. And I think that might be, for me, the core of it, because letting go of that was an incredibly painful decision as well. And to confront that, I think, is is even more so. Um, and I think 
I think the piece is it's been eroded so much that, that there's that lack of power behind you saying, no, I believe myself. I trust myself. I trust my intuition here. And I think, you know, as you're asking about my work there, a lot of that work is going back to your intuitive self is really finding yourself and being okay with your decisions. And I think that's about finding your authentic self, uh, peeling away the mask and the layers that maybe you've built up in pretending you're okay and, and connecting with her again to find that intuition and be yeah. okay with it. That's yeah. interesting. And I'm thinking like, as we're talking about these things and it's something that we've brought up in other conversations, you know, one of the positives about addiction is I think it, made us realize some things that we struggled with even outside of addiction. Like if I think back, I think I've always had some perfectionism, like tendencies or have always struggled to trust myself a little bit. Like I very much somebody who likes to pull everyone around me to see like, well, what do you think about this? What would you yeah, do? Yeah, got you. Got um, you yes. And you know, like when there's nothing like major blowing up in your life. It just seems like, oh yeah, that's just how I am. It's normal. Um, and then I think addiction just really escalated those things and forced me to look at it and started doing work like in therapy because of addiction and started realizing these patterns. Um, so yeah, just everything that you're saying about the, like, trying to get back in touch with your intuition and perfectionism and people pleasing, like it's, it all just hits right on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm glad as well. <laughs> it, can, it can be confronting at the same time, but I always say without, without awareness, there can be no change. You know, there's, there's no way that unless we can start identifying those things. And I don't know, I just think sometimes as well, when it comes to that, for those of us who are, are, holding on to that hope and who are really being supportive of the loved one with addiction or someone that we know with addiction, I think there is an element of us that has to have that low self-trust because otherwise maybe we would have walked away at the beginning. You know, I think that there's got to be something there that keeps us, keeps us pulling. And I, I don't know, I think that, as I said before, this stuff starts in our very early childhood, like whether or not the people around us meant to cause us any sort of um, question to our own identity, but it starts at a very young age. So for most of my clients, I'm working with decades worth of inner critic thoughts about themselves as well. And that's the work that we do. So it takes time to get yourself back. So I think that, you know, as you spoke about before, therapy, coaching, friends, whoever can guide you and supporting you and supporting you to get back to a place where you do believe in yourself again and trust yourself is a huge part of it. I think a huge part of just finding your own support through supporting others. Yeah. Something else that came up was boundaries. Um, you mentioned having to set the boundaries yeah. with yeah. You know, the loved one in your life. And I would imagine even the clients that you're working with, you know, it that aren't dealing with addiction, like boundaries come into play in some way in their work they're doing. So I guess, can you speak a little bit to like why boundaries are important and like how you go about setting those? Absolutely. And, um, you know, for a long time, like boundaries is such a hard thing. Like if you are a people pleaser, you don't have boundaries. That's just the one thing that you, I worked with a people pleaser on. Um, because if you set boundaries, you have to stand at a certain level for yourself and say no to something. 
you know, which is going to offend someone, right? And so it's the same thing when we're setting boundaries within a, someone with an addiction, when we are entangled in the lies or we don't necessarily believe them because of our low self-trust around this sort of uh, situation, then we can't set boundaries. You know, it's really hard to do so. So when it comes to boundaries, I think the first thing we start looking at is where is a place, like I think boundaries for myself, where is a place where you feel like you are being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you, you know, when you get that niggling feeling, like someone makes, someone does something and you feel angry, like you feel a little bit of a response in your body. Where are you finding there's a negative response coming up in your body that maybe you're pushing down? As people pleasers, maybe we don't become angry. We're the good girls. You know, we don't want to be seen as aggressive or rude or angry or any of those things. I see a lot of people with that because in our childhood, many parents say, don't be angry, you know, stop yelling, stop reacting. And so we kind of have this inbuilt part of ourselves that has certain emotions we're not allowed to go to. So I would say connect to a space in your body where someone does something and you start feeling a response that might be negative and your boundary has been crossed there. Whether or not you actually step into your power and say, you know what, my boundary has been crossed. I don't appreciate what you're doing. Stepping away, that would just be the first thing to look out for. So keep a pen and paper by your bed or even put it in your phone. But where are you feeling something in your body? Because that's your first sign that your boundary is being crossed. Um, I think the second thing around boundaries is having a look at what is it that you want for yourself? Like if you were to close your eyes and visualize the version of yourself that is at her high, highest power, that is her strongest, the most confident version of herself, and actually get people to name her, like what's her name? What's your alter ego's name? And if you can give her a different name, um, mine is Adriana. She, when I'm feeling like lack of confidence or I'm feeling lack of something, you know, empowerment, whatever it might be, or low trust, I go, how would Adriana act? And usually that person, her shoulders are back, her head is high, she breathes really strongly, she has a great outfit on, you know what I mean? Like she is confident. And when you can step into her for a second and make a decision from her, you've dissociated, you've dissociated yourself enough from yourself, your emotions, your feeling, your past, that you can make a different decision based on her. So when I think about boundaries, a lot of the time I'll say to my clients, be the alter ego of yourself be Adriana, what would she do in this situation? And it helps them to come to a conclusion without worrying about who they're gonna offend. So that might sound super weird, but it's one of the best things that I do with my clients. <laughs> that is so funny. One, I think it doesn't Beyonce have like an alter ego of like Sasha Fierce or something yeah, like Sasha that. Fierce. Well, yeah, also I was gonna right. say Adriana sounds fierce too, so. Yeah, she, oh, she and, is. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And honestly, on spring break, I would change my name because Katie wouldn't do these bad things. Yes. <laughs> I was candy. <laughs> I was, <I'm> candy. <laughs> so candy did the bad things, but when I went home and I was Katie and I was fine. Yes. Yes. That is it. so funny that because so funny. it really did feel like I didn't do those things. Right. It wasn't me. It was like spring break candy, which, yep. you know, a little bit different, but it was just the mind shift. Honestly, mine was, was Veronica. I hear you. Yeah. Oh, Veronica that's so funny. <laughs> that's that. so funny. <laughs> but I love that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, but can you see how you've dissociated from candy and you don't take the responsibility, but you can take it in a really positive way. Like, how could I step into something that is of high trust, of high confidence, of high power, of empowerment, you know, all of those things. And that's, you know, that's the gap between where you are right now and where you want to be. And to add another layer to it, there's also the other side of me. Um, this is what I do with my clients. There's Lucy. And Lucy is the one that gets really anxious. She gets really nervous. She gets really insecure. She worries about what people think. 
Now she's barely present in my life, but when she starts coming up, that's when I start connecting with Adriana. And it's two ways of dissociating. So you can sit down and say, you know, who am I being right now? And who do I want to be? Or how can I make a better decision? Who would be taking the reins? And oh, this might get a little bit deep, but I'll, I'll, I think it might resonate with people. When we're being the Lucy or being that version of ourselves, that's probably something that we've developed as a way to feel loved, feel connected, feel better about ourselves. Like those fears are there to keep us safe because we don't want to be judged. We don't want to be, you know, criticized. So you might feel nervous before doing something because you, you don't want to feel judgment. And so there's a place for her. But what the goal is, is to move up to that, you know, really strong version of ourselves. So hopefully that helps anyone at home. Think of an alter ego name, write it down and start connecting with her. You know, we're all going to need to think of our alter ego names and maybe share them sometime. Yeah, we had yeah, a, I need to come up with one. I don't have one. Yeah. Is it time for an update from Candy? I know that's bad girl. Bad girl. <laughs> I got to come up with like a good, I'm a mom now. <laughs> well, even that I'm a mom too. It's like, you know, there, there's that part of me that's like, you know, so much of our identity can be entangled in that. It's like, who's the one that, who's Katie before being a mom? And now as a mom, how do you combine her without just being a mom? You know, I think that's so important is finding that version of yourself. For sure. And I actively work on that because, you know, there was just a woman in my neighborhood, like uh, hanging out. She's 57 years old and she was living with her kids, whatever. And she just kicked all her kids out and they're in their forties. And she was like, I, I don't even know who I am. Like I have been taking care of my four children for decades now. I don't even know how I am. And I I unfortunately maybe had a cocktail and I said, Linda, I do not want to be you. Like, I don't want to wake up at 57 and be like, what is my life? And so I am actively working on who I am as Katie, the mom, Katie, the worker, Katie, the podcaster, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like there's just so many people. Um, I think something else that popped up that you said is that, um, or maybe it just came in my mind. Um, we, I feel that we are kind of fortunate in a way that we had to experience addiction at such a young age, because I don't believe that I necessarily would have been working on this stuff. Had Mm -hmm. my life been the fairy tale finger quote, get married, have babies, both have a job, we got a house, that type of thing. And so, you know, I really had to go through the muck of things. And I'm really thankful for that. You know, I'm in my early thirties and I feel very confident in who I am today. Um, I truly feel you're as sick as your secrets. And so for me, blurting this out is totally great for me. Um, but for others, I know that's not the path that they're on, but I can't even explain the empowerment I felt when we came out. Shannon, I don't know if you had that same feeling. (laughs) Maybe not. I mean, not to the same level as you, like I do feel empowered and, um, like as really proud of what we've done, but there's, there's always the little bit of lingering, like, ah, yikes, what are we doing? how is this going to be received? Am I going to say the wrong thing? Um, judgment so, yep. There's some judgment there. Um, I was also thinking, so as we're talking about, you know, when you were saying like the Lucy version version and the Adriana, um, and I would imagine you see a lot of growth in your clients. How does that impact maybe like the relationships they have like I think something we see um with our like in our support groups and things that we do like when people start to get healthier sometimes people who are around you like 
don't like that, or, you know, you're starting to act different and you want different things for your life. And like, I don't know, how do you, how do you see people like navigating that and being able to still grow and, and move on, even if others around them aren't ready? It's a really big question. There's there's two parts I definitely have for that. Is um I mean I firsthand experienced that. Like I, I separated from my partner a couple of years ago now, and um and was pregnant with my second baby at the time. And I would I would have to say a huge part of it came from the person I was walking into that relationship at 27 to the person that exited at you know 36. 35 um, and I think that came a lot from my growth and I actually remember when I was studying coaching so I studied it for three years and a guy that I was there with he was a much older man he was like be careful of the different directions you guys will go in now that you're doing this work and I always remember that because I think it resonated so much at the time I already sensed that I sensed it at home like you know we were the same and all of a sudden I started moving into this different direction of like growth and learning about myself and unpacking my traumas and just really doing the work and just and just holding a mirror up to myself, I guess. And I think one of the hardest things, whatever, you know, whether it's a a fitness journey going on or a mindset or whatever it might look like, you are a version of how to explain it the best way possible, who you are to the people around you. When you start changing, you start changing who they are. You start changing how they are in that situation. So think about it. If you're ever a smoker, I used to smoke, I would hang around with smokers because no one judged me smoking. But then if I was hanging around with people that didn't smoke, I got criticism. So when you're hanging around someone who's doing no personal development or isn't setting boundaries or isn't working on standing up for themselves and all of a sudden you start doing it, that person is going to be really irritated unless they're supportive of what they're doing because sometimes it's a mirror up to themselves of what they're not doing or what they're afraid of, their own insecurities or past pains. And I think that that can be a really hard space. And I think that's where it's super important to start prioritizing yourself because you will come to that mucky part of growth because it's either asking you to come back and stay the same because it feels uncomfortable or push through the discomfort and prioritize yourself and have that vision, Katie, of you at 57 and and being the mum with the kids that have left the home or just being that person that, you know, we've only lived a certain amount of our our life. And I think we can get so caught up in the feelings of right now, as opposed to that beautiful vision of, you know, the end of our lives. What do we want to have have done? What legacy do you want to leave? What type of person do you want to exit as? And I think that they're the things you want to keep in mind is that big, you know, goal at the very end, as opposed to how uncomfortable it feels right now. So um, long way around that is it's going to feel yucky. And for some people worse than others. And for some people, you'll lose people along the way or you'll, you'll let them go. Um, but that's part of growth. Yeah. My experience. And like you said, I, you, I liked how you mentioned, you know, you got it. It forces you to prioritize yourself then. Like, you know, do you want to maybe lose some people along the way or do you want to completely lose yourself? Because that might yeah. be the options and, you know, that doesn't yeah. sound good either. Man, this has been um, a very like fascinating conversation. I feel like I could just ask you questions for hours longer, um, but I know we're pulling up. So I'll just, I guess my sort of final thought is, um, you know, you've been doing this work for a while. Like what, what has surprised you the most in it or what are you most proud of? And, and any closing thoughts that you would want to leave with others? Yes. So um, the thing that surprises me most is that we're all exactly the same. 
It does not matter where you come from in life. At a deep core, we are all looking for love. We all want to be accepted. We all want to belong. And the greatest fears that we have is that it won't happen. And so we become these people in order to prevent hurt or further damage. So, you know, the people that are angry and rude and mean and bullies at the core, they're pushing people away because they don't want someone to leave them. Somewhere in their past, they've been hurt and that's what they developed in order to feel, you know, in control. Same thing as perfectionism. So at a core, it doesn't matter who I coach, they are all experiencing the same problems. You know, they're all worried about the same types of things and they're all struggling and it all came from somewhere in their past. So that is the thing, the thing that surprised me the most. Um, and I would say, if I could leave a message to the entire world, it would be start becoming aware of your thoughts. Um, our thoughts can spiral so easily and, and, and so often we don't even know the things we say to ourselves. So it could be something like, oh, that was really dumb or you always do that or you're so lazy. And, and that then connects to that thought, connects to a feeling mm. you feel bad about yourself and then it connects to an action and then a result. And so if we're on this cycle and we don't connect with that thought, we can never make a change and just create you know, these, these big movements in our life. So connect to your thoughts, write them down. What are you commonly saying to yourself that is damaging how you see yourself? And if you can change that thought into something new, so instead of I'm lazy, it could be, I don't feel like doing this right now, but I'll prioritize it later in the day. That thought is going to make you feel something different about yourself. And I think that if people could get a handle on that, my God, we'd have some very, very confident people walking this, this world. So that would be my last message. <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. Well, Isabel, thank you so much for joining us today and spending your time with us. And uh, it's uh, like Shannon said, like such a cool call uh, for us and hopefully people take uh, a lot of lessons out of this episode. So um, do you want to go ahead and tell people how they could either follow you, find you, connect with you? Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you so much. Um, I've loved this. And if anyone wants to follow the work that I do, my Instagram handle is just evolve with Isabel. Um, I-S-O-B-E-L is how you spell my name as well. And that's the best place to contact me. Um, and just to see my work and just to resonate with, you know, learning for yourself, maybe about perfectionism and people pleasing and just learning how to get confidence and really empower the decisions that you have in your life at the moment. Cool. Awesome. Okay. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for joining us and keep coming back. Thanks for spending time with us. We hope this story has helped you better navigate yours. Don't forget to subscribe so we can meet you here next time. If you enjoyed this episode, spread the love by rating or reviewing. Need more support? Join our online community by visiting us at boyproblemspod.com. Whatever you do, keep coming back. We're not licensed professionals. We're here to share our lived experience. So take what resonates and leave what doesn't.